0: Hi everyone, welcome to Be The Change. My name is Lily Mott and today I'm going to be talking about how change comes when we amplify unheard voices. I learned a lot through my conversation with this week's guest, so I'm excited to share this episode with you. Kevin Patel is an intersectional climate justice activist and the founder of One Up Action, which is an organization that is supporting intersectional youth activists in their change-making efforts around the world. I really enjoyed talking with Kevin about his work, so without further ado, let's get started with this episode featuring Kevin Patel.
1: My name is Kevin J. Patel. I use he, him pronouns. I come from a community called South Central Los Angeles or South LA as many others call it. I've lived in Los Angeles my whole life. I really started beginning to fight as an intersectional climate justice activist, um, and I've been doing it for the past eleven years. I started at a very young age, around twelve, because I was directly impacted by the smog and air pollution here in Los Angeles uh, and in my community. But I really started, you know, my activism even earlier, given that both my parents are climate migrants themselves, coming from India. Uh, and their parents are farmers, um, and so I, I really kind of lo- learned a lot of the knowledge that my um, my my grandparents, my uh, you know, my, just my the, my family heritage had, which is being farmers around growing our own food and really prospering around that. And from that knowledge, I kind of realized here my community in South LA, we have a, a huge issue of food injustice and food desert. You know, and uh, I, I focused on the issue of food insecurity in um, a better part of one year um, during my sixth grade year, uh, first semester, and really teaching my peers that we can grow our own foods and really learn about non-GMO, organic, and vegan options rather than just the fast food uh, restaurants and chains um, that are like a block away from our community, right? Um, but when you go into wealthier communities, you have those types of healthier options. And so I just noticed that injustice in my community, and that's the first injustice that I began with. And then second semester of my sixth year, obviously I was impacted by the air and smog pollution. And I realized it's not just one issue that my community is facing. It's a multitude of issues that my community is facing. And if I um, don't speak out against it, you know, if I'm not utilizing my voice to do everything to protect my community and the people that I love and the place that I grew up in, then no justice would be served, um, both for my community but also for the planet. Um, and ever since then, I've been advocating for you know environmental justice issues and um, just you know overall climate issues. Um, not only in my community of LA but you know worldwide as well internationally. And throughout throughout the eleven years, I've done quite a lot um, and, and 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 involved in quite a lot, but. Uh, in 2019, I founded an organization called One Up Action International, uh, which I continue being the executive director for. Um, and we're really focused on empowering uh, young people to implement climate solutions within their own communities. And the way that we do that is by right, resourcing them, amplifying them, um, mentoring them, and making sure that any every resource that is possibly that you know, possibly available to us, we can. Uh, resource to them uh, to to get to get solutions off the ground and really implemented um, instead of waiting around for solutions to be implemented. So that's a lot of the work that I do now, really wanting to support the next generation of not only climate leaders but also our generation, Generation Z, who's you know who's coming up with these innovative, bold, and ambitious solutions that many other generations previous to ours have never come up with and make sure that we can actually get them implemented. So that's a bit about me.
0: That was a great way to get started. So I want to just dive in and have you tell me more about 1UP Action. I would love to know more about the work you're doing with the organization and what the day-to-day work looks like while you're running this project and you're reaching young people all over the world. So tell me tell me more and give me the whole scoop on 1UP Action.
1: Yeah, of course. You know, our mission. You know, One Up Action exists to empower every young person to understand and implement cl- implement solutions to the climate emergency. And so we do this again through the development, funding, and scaling of uh, youth civic engagement and grassroots climate solutions. And and we especially do it in marginalized communities. One Up Action has uh, key fellowship initiatives that we are launching. Um, First one being the Youth Solutionist in Government, the Youth Innovators, and then the Action Incubator Fellowship. Our domestic program, the Youth Solutionist uh, in Government Fellowship, is really centered on three frameworks. Uh, first framework is having young people build out policy, so citizen ballot initiatives. Um, our second framework around in the fellowship is Youth Climate Commissions, which One of Action is actually the first organization ever to create a youth climate commission here in la county where i live and then our third framework is for young people who are running for office to have a climate platform um so what that means is like policies that they should adopt while, while they are running um, for you know any position in government um that you know these are bold policies that they should be adopting and instead of just like the mediocre, regular policies that are out there. There are my, many more policies that they can adopt that are more ambitious. And so those are our three frameworks for the Youth Solutions in government. Um, and I'll get into the Youth Climate Commission a little later on, but that's that's what, what our domestic program looks like right now. And then our Youth Innovators Fellowship and then our Action Incubator Fellowship. I'll start with the Action Incubator Fellowship. That's really the incubation of new solutions and um, and new innovative ideas to solve injustices that are coming about, you know, new injustices that are coming about. So it's really the incubation of new solutions that have never existed. And a lot of young people, you know, they're always innovative. They're always coming up with solutions to solve new issues and new um, injustices that are coming. Um, and so we wanted to have a fellowship that kind of tailors to that in the incubation period of like, how can we get and support young people with seed funding resources to really get that project or initiative off the ground. Um, and then our youth innovators fellowship is drawing from frameworks like speed and scale, regeneration, uh, project drawdown. You know, just solution books. Um, you know, and frameworks that exist that are out there. Um, how can we draw from those solutions, um, and then uh, really support the young people who are implementing those um, solutions that are from an existing framework of solutions? How are we supporting those young people to implement? And really get off the ground and so that there's a case study to be made that hey there's a solution that's being implemented in this community it's making this certain impact, and this is why we should be spreading this solution elsewhere and really getting that off the ground and so these three fellowships are going to be launched this year in 2023, Um, hopefully we're really kind of starting with the youth solutions in government and hopefully we'll be launching that in February and then our two other fellowships which are more internationally focused um, and everyone can apply for those are going to be launched um, later down the the year. Currently we're in the phases of raising funds for those but those are the you know day-to-day you know kind of what we're focusing right now is to really make sure that we get these fellowships off the ground and um, we're coordinating and working with young people still around the world to really, you know, see what they need um, instead of dictating, you know, what 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 they need. Um, we're really working with them to kind of say, like, what resources, what help, what is the issues or barriers or adversities that you're facing to get this off the ground, this initiative off the ground? And how is the youth climate movement really reimagining and redefining what activism looks like through this modern lens of moving from conversation and still having conversation, but to getting to implementation and really seeing an impact in local communities. And so I think that's really what one of action is focusing on day to day.
0: I think it's so interesting that you're taking this international approach to climate change activism because, of course, your experience to climate change being in L.A. compared to another person's experience living in another part of the world will be different, and you're going to face different challenges when it comes to the environment. So as far as your own experience with climate change, you mentioned food deserts, pollution, and other aspects of climate change that you face in L.A., I think a lot of people have the privilege of hearing about these issues but not actually having to experience them, at least not right now. Can you tell me more about your own experience with climate change growing up in your community? How has climate change affected you personally or your family or your community as a whole?
1: Yeah, many people are saying the climate crisis in Los Angeles, you know, such an affluent city. and I think people really need to, uh, you know, step into the shoes of people who are coming from majority black and brown and indigenous communities. And I think when, you know, a day-to-day life of a community member here, it's it's plagued with many injustices, right? And many different issues. But I think a lot of these issues are really interconnected and really intersectional. And the way that, you know, I kind of approach, making people understand that is the, you know, I started at a very young age and I, even at a very young age, I was able to pick up that there are so many different issues. Um, One starting with the lack of, uh, you know, healthier foods uh, for my community. But if you go to like um, Calabasas, Beverly Hills, or the West side of Los Angeles, you can see that there's more, there are much more opportunities and access to, uh, you know, fresher produce and healthier meals and things that, you know, you would not see here in in my community of South Central Los Angeles or even neighboring communities um, that are considered marginalized. And a lot of the time what I talk about is a disinvestment in not only my community, but neighboring communities and communities worldwide where there's, you know, a sacrifice zone and Essentially, what that means is, you know, a lot of these industries and governments and even local government is telltale in the sense that they are directly responsible for the cultural disinvestment, the the actual disinvestment where they come in and, you know, extract all the resources and uh, put these polluting industries within our own backyards and um, the freeways uh, historically have been built in through our communities. And so, and then when you look at the tree coverage within our, you know, in our community, you will see that there is a less of a, a tree coverage in our community. But when you go more into the affluent communities, you see that there are more trees um, than in your community. And so it's a, a multitude of, it, it, you know, layers in it. Every layer that you pull back, you see that there's more and more issues and more and more problems with how people are being affected by this issue. Um, If you are, um, but even if you are affluent, you can't escape, especially here in California, a lot of people are noticing, even if you're affluent, you know, you're not gonna escape the wildfires. Um, You're not gonna escape, you know, the flooding. You're not gonna escape a lot of these different issues um, uh, that are weather related. And then even with the heat waves, I think our unhoused community members you know, they're the ones that are going to be affected, especially here in Los Angeles. They're the ones that are being affected at the forefront of uh, the heat waves. Not only are they being affected by heat waves when it gets to the hundreds or 120, you know, like we you know, some of our heat waves get to that, you know, get to that point where it's just really unbearable for people to be outside. Um, And then even during our winter time, um, it it gets pretty cold. And even the weathers of like rain, I just kind of think about our unhoused communities and and how they are at the forefront of this crisis. And I think stepping back of how people are kind of being affected daily and how I'm being affected daily, I'll get into that a little later on, I'm kind of going in the tangent, but I wanna start with our unhoused community members, how they're being affected by the uh, extreme weather and how they have uh, inability to have access to fresh water, good food, um, and you know services, um, and so they're the first ones that are at the forefront of this crisis. And I think people need to reala- realize that this is this is not coming to our doorstep in the next ten or thirty years. And I think a lot of people are waking up to that fact, but I think a lot of people still think that it it's it's a it's a thing of of. For the next 10 to 20 years, uh, no, it's already here at our doorstep. And it's, um, and the the people who are feeling the effects of it the most are unhoused community members and, and then our our, our communities were obviously have been historically disinvested. And so it goes into my community of South LA um, and how we've been historically disinvested in one way multiple ways that I can kind of point out which I've already pointed out in the beginning is how these polluting industries are right in our backyards like the fossil fuel industry Um, many communities borderline of uh, South LA I know South LA closed down our first uh, closed down our last oil drill or you know the fossil fuel industry being in our our neighborhoods Um, but neighboring communities like Wilmington and um, just other communities El Segundo, gundo ha, still have a prominent prominent um presence of the fossil fuel industry as being in their backyards and if you were to do a tour a toxic tour of those communities you can see that there's it's unbearable and a lot of these people who are black brown and uh indigenous and just BIPOC individuals have to live with that daily it's a daily reminder that they're waking up because their community is historically disinvested and They just don't have the money either to fight back or to move out of it, you know? And so that's one way. And then another way is the freeways being built right, you know, in our, through our communities. I don't live that far away from a freeway um, not even two or three blocks away and you'll find a freeway. And, and that, you know, causes a lot of air and smog pollution. Um, And then we also have factories around South LA and um, just different uh, neighborhoods and, that also contributes to the air and smog pollution, and so and and then when we talk about things hidden injustices, we, we we kind of kind of go into um, the injustice of you know of the lack of trees. And I mentioned that earlier, and you know where you'll see less tree coverage here, but you can if you go a little bit far west, um, you know to to those areas that I mentioned, Beverly Hills, Calabasas, all those areas, you can see that there's a there are a lot more trees um there are a lot more access there's a lot more investment in that community and so I talk about that of like how you know as a young individual at a very young age I started realizing the issues of food injustice how our unhoused community members are being at the forefront of this crisis how there's been a historical disadvantage in our community and just multiple other ways that uh, people are being affected. And I'm just only talking about a a number right now. You know, this is just a number of issues that I'm talking about. I'm sure there's, uh, you know, others that I'm not even touching upon about the health crisis and all these other issues that goes upon it, right? And that is placed upon our communities. And I think it's important to realize that it's it's never going to be one issue. It's It's a majority of issues that young people um, and just people in general in my community are facing or and having to face that are coming from uh, and, and, and rooted in the systems of oppression. I will quote my good friend, Leah Thomas, when she says, when it comes to the exposure to poor air quality and water quality, BIPOC peoples um, are disproportionately impacted uh, by that. And so in context, environmental racism is such a huge and prominent thing and it should be connected to climate change, you know? Uh, climate change is this huge word, but under it, there's so many uh, caveats and you know c- connections and it's a, whole, it's a whole thing of like, yes, we should worry about climate change, but climate change impacts so many communities already, um, not only here in the United States, but worldwide, right? Um, in many different ways um, and, and, and also at many different levels many people don't have housing because of the extreme weather Um, and I I count myself fortunate in the sense that we are only barely feeling the effects of climate change but others around the world even even in our country are feeling the bare you know uh, I mean not the bare minimum but the the maximum force of what the climate crisis can look like Um, and so I think it's prominent to understand that this is not just one or two issues or three issues it's a it's a multitude of them and everything's all connected and so um for me in that connection I just kind of there's no one way to answer this question of like well how did you come about you know um kind of connecting with people on this issue I just try to make those connections and make people see that everything is connected right and if they were to sit in their own community what things can they see how are people impacted you at home can find out that your community might not have access to like fresh foods right that's an injustice in itself you might you know notice the lack of trees in your community that's an injustice at itself you know and so a lot of people can um if they just take the time to like be observant of their communities and the issues that are going around the issue uh, in their communities. They can tie it to climate change, and um, and they can tie it to the systems that have caused climate change. and And that being, you know, the fossil fuel industry and how governments have for so long gone along with these industries um, to continue causing these injustices to communities. Um, sorry, that is a long answer, but. I just wanted to kind of give a full context of like how this issue is such a huge issue can't be just you know answered in one in one go. <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I really appreciate that whole explanation and just you sharing that. There are so many different ways that people are and will continue to be impacted by this issue. So thank you for touching on some of them. So I have one last question for you. Lots of young people, college students, high school students want to create change and want to make a difference, but they may not know how to get started. Do you have any advice for those people who may be listening?
1: Yeah, I think start by utilizing your voice. I think it's the most important, it's the most powerful tool in our arsenal. You know, it's uh, utilizing our voices, just saying, you you know, re- realizing that if you know that there's an injustice in your community, whether that be climate change, whether that be gun violence, whether that be women's rights, whether, you know, whatever issue uh, matters the most to you, utilize your voice to make that difference. You know, if I would have never utilized my voice when, um, when I first was impacted and I started seeing all these injustices, I would have never been uh, where I am today. And so utilize your voice, gather your peers, bring others in, join local groups, uh, do your research, you know, go, you know, I know it can be taxing sometimes of uh, having to see all these headlines and um news articles about the issues that are happening and the injustices that are happening across the world by saying if you're doing your research you're able to really utilize your voice to make a difference um, you know as individuals i always kind of say um we have quite a lot of more power than people think we do um, and when i mean um those people who think we don't have that power is like you know our governments and the, These corporations, we have the power of our voices and our dollars. And um, so, uh, realizing that we have more power to make change and we're united together. And so, I can list off a a multitude of actions to do, you know, creating our own policies, last motions, you know, with the Youth Climate Commission here that I did in LA County being the first ever in the world, first ever in the nation. um, Every other young person can start a Youth Climate Commission. Um, in their counties or even wherever you're listening to this. Um, And then we also have the ability to unlearn and learn new things. And um, I think that's the beauty of activism is to unlearn things that we've learned in school that might not follow with our ideals and then learning new things Um, and really kind of being cognizant of making sure that we are learning things or making a difference. Also being very intersectional and intergenerational in our advocacy. We have to learn from those who have come before us and um, utilizing the tools and tactics that they have placed, uh, you know, that, that they have used and kind of integrating it within our advocacy. And also, uh, two important things uh, I will leave off with is that please, please, please make sure that you are amplifying unheard voices, uh, those being the most impacted by the climate crisis, and then also acknowledging environmental racism and injustice, whether that be in your own community or, uh, you know, communities that are neighboring or just in general. Also, while activism is a is a huge thing, I also always say rest is resistance and um uh, find time to rest you know um yes utilize your voice but also make sure that you are resting and so you can recharge and continue doing the amazing work that you are doing be hopeful be optimistic like john lewis always said um and also get in good trouble like uh, the late great um representative john lewis once said so yeah
0: I learned so much from this conversation, and I just want to highlight that last point Kevin made about amplifying unheard voices. I think Kevin's work with One Up Action and everything he's doing to support other climate activists really speaks to how Kevin is embodying his own advice, which I always respect. No matter the issue you're working on, or what field you're in, or what you're passionate about, I think that piece of advice applies to everyone. And we can all keep in mind that change comes when we amplify unheard voices. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and you can find Kevin on Instagram at I'm Kevin J. Patel to get connected with him. You can also find 1UP Action on Instagram at 1UP Action to learn more about the organization. If you want to talk about anything I mentioned, please reach out to me by email at lily at bethechangepodcast.org or on Instagram at bethechangepodcast. Tune in for my next episode, but until then... Be the change you wish to see in the world. Bye, guys.